What's up? What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Underground STL interview. We are a show that brings you a street low view of the greater St. Louis area, taking you deep into the topics that matter the most to St. Louisans. I'm your host, Sam Catanzaro. We have a producer, Booster, uh, pressing all them keys. And today's topic is something that is deeply affecting the bar and restaurant industry throughout St. Louis. The restrictions set by County Executive Sam Page. And with, uh, uh, with us in the studio today is the fearless owner, of Satchmo's Bar and Grill in Chesterfield, uh, pretty much the antithesis of Sam Page, uh, the complete opposite, Mr. Benjamin Brown. Ben, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, uh, Ben, give us a little background on yourself. Uh, have you always been in the restaurant industry? How did you get started, and how long have you owned your business? Uh, well, I've owned Satchmo's for a little over seven years. Uh, prior to that, I did uh, some professional mixed martial arts and uh I trained during the day and bartended at nights, and so it just kind of fit my lifestyle back then. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a lot of ambition to have a business of my own, and so it seemed natural to kind of start my business career in the restaurant industry. And I pursued that, and um, here I am. And basically, I've I've kind of sat back over the the last nine, ten months, watching everything that's happened. It's just you know, it's a lot of it's been disgraceful, and you know, I just. I've kind of become a little bit of an activist for my industry, um, starting with pursuing some uh, light, some reform with the liquor laws, pursuing the cocktails to go um, executive order, and then just you know with the last round of the lockdowns and the arbitrary nature, just kind of motivated me to you know be somebody that kind of stood up and spoke out against it. Wow. So I mean, like, like you, you've been you know, owner. But before that, I mean, you were, you were in the trenches, you were bartending. So, so you saw it, you've seen it from an employee perspective and you've seen it from a, um, owner perspective too. You, you know exactly how it's affecting everybody throughout. Absolutely. That's, I think that's one thing that, um, is, is a benefit to myself and my business partner. We both started, uh, working at actually, um, Harpo's in Columbia when we were going to Mizzou up there and we mm-hmm. both started, within a few weeks of each other as door guys. So we'd, we'd card people at the door, collect money, and at the end of the night, you know, we'd be scrubbing toilets, mopping floors, and worked our way up from, you know, that, that bottom rung, and then started cooking, worked in the kitchen, and then, you know, started bartending. And by the time I left, I was managing the kitchen. So I kind of worked my way up through every role that they had. And then we kind of went our separate ways and then kind of partnered up on this and brought our different experiences we um we accumulated when we went separate ways and combined them to uh, create the restaurant that we have now, Satchmo's. Gotcha. So, I mean, you, you've you've seen it all. Uh, you've done it all um, as far as, you know, the restaurant industry. So, since all these lockdown orders and restrictions came into place this year, uh, the most recent being put into no, uh, into place November 17th, how much business have you actually lost uh, at Satchmo's? Like, compare it to, you know, compare 2020 to, let's say, a good year like 2019. What's the difference in business lost? Oh, it's, it's devastating. I mean, we... We managed to increase sales at our restaurant 10% or more every year we owned the business. And at the beginning of 2020, a couple months in, we were 17% over the best year we ever had. So, you know, we were patting ourselves on the back saying this is going to be our year. And little did we know what was right around the corner. And then uh, COVID hit and the f- dining rooms were shut down the first time. And man, some days we were making maybe 10, 15% of what our normal revenue would be in a day. So it was, I mean, it was just devastating wow and so we've just you know we've 
even when things were open at 25%, 50% capacity, you're, you're still operating at a loss. It's just, I mean, you got to stay open to keep your people working. And yeah. A lot of times, like, I think a lot of places, they're they're staying open really just to keep their people working. They're they're losing money. So it's, uh, it's just, it's a really bad environment. And then with the last round of restrictions shutting dining rooms down completely, it's just, you know, it's, it's a killer. It, it really sucks. I think everybody was like, I was like, man, 2020, this is going to be it. Like I'm like, you know, I'm going to turn, turn things around. Uh, we started doing this podcast and shit like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, you know, COVID you know, COVID-19 gave a big middle finger to, to everybody. Um, so they, the, um, basically St. Louis County's, uh, indoor dining protocols are based on the latest scientific research and expert advice from the pandemic task force and public health professionals. That's what Sam Page said. Um, I know the CDC says that indoor dining is one of the major contributors to the spread of COVID-19, but have you as a small business owner been presented with any actual local statistics, uh, besides like number of cases and deaths, uh, that show indoor dining is responsible for actually spreading the virus specifically to the St. Louis County area? You know, no, and I, you know, that's one thing that I wish that the people making these policy decisions really understood because, you know, you have hospitality industries made up of parents that that need need their income, that live week to week, that need money to pay their mortgage and put food on the table, or college students to just barely can pay their rent normally and now they're just kind of left hanging without warning and the damage inflicted by these policies is very real but yet it seems that the data to support it has been completely non-existent Mm -hmm. and that's that's what's so frustrating because you have many in the media that have um they've attempted to get data that supported these lockdowns and they've got nothing they just refer them to some uh national studies that show some kind of loose correlation but a loose correlation correlation does not mean causality next necessarily, and they have zero data to support this. Yeah, what what sucks is, uh, you know, with with everything nationally, you know, when you when you when you look at it as a national scale, it might make sense or it might seem, you know, um, like it might it might actually seem good and a good as a as a good idea to actually shut down everything and close everything when you look at it from a national perspective. But every place is different. You know, St. St. Louis is way different than the Metro East, you know, and like Chicago, like Chicago is way different than Southern Illinois. So, so even from a statewide basis, you can't really go, you got to look at like, you know, areas by the area and not just nationally. Um, have, have you gotten any financial aid to actually convert your business to outdoor dining? Nothing from the county at all. Okay. Uh, we were a recipient of the PPP loans back earlier in the pandemic but of course those those have been long gone so yeah i mean they tell you just oh hopefully the federal government will do something meanwhile they're just kind of leaving people hanging you're gonna get six hundred dollars though that's that's good right yeah Yeah, that that that'll that'll save it uh (laughs) so i yeah i mean do do you know anyone who actually has gotten financial aid maybe not like government financial aid but like uh any fundraisers or going on people raising money you know uh we had a gofundme that we had because uh, we were defying the order for a few weeks and we received pretty overwhelming support from the community we had we were still careful to uh make sure that we were following the recommendations that were in place prior to the last round so we were remaining at the occupancy limits and socially distanced tables 
That being said, we, we were receiving all the business we could possibly handle while still adhering to those policies because it, it was just, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, I felt like someone needed to speak up for all these restaurant employees throughout the county and the restaurant industry makes up 10% of the entire state's workforce. And I mean, you know, I have sincere concerns over what our economy is going to look like when this is all over, if it's going to be an environment where any restaurant can survive. And so I just, you know, I, I decided to take a stand and I didn't know what, what would come of that. I didn't know if there would be a ton of public blowback. I knew that we could get a lot of criticism, but I was, I was overwhelmed that it was just overwhelmingly positive. The support we, we had from people coming in, calling, sending us messages so, I mean, that, that was fantastic. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like a lot of businesses did like GoFundMe pages or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, when you have, like you said, 10% of the state is mm. the, the restaurant industry. And it's like, okay, and if everybody's doing a GoFundMe, you know, then the, mo- you know, the money's not all there. It's, it's mm-hmm. easy. It was easy back in like 2019 if a business was going under or if they needed help to start a GoFundMe page or to start to do a fundraiser, you know, on Facebook or something like that. And then people would donate, but now everybody is down and out and everybody's in dire straits. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's it hard to it replace uh, a federal budget with GoFundMe. Exactly. 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 Uh, but yeah, so restaurants are allowed to do outdoor dining, curbside carryout and delivery now in St. Louis County. Uh, just ballpark it. What percentage of your business is curbside or carryout? Uh, prior to the last round? Yeah, pri- prior to the prior to uh, 2020. Maybe 2%, if that, okay. not very much. And now, what what would you say it is? Like now, ever since these restrictions and all that kind of stuff, indoor dining's been banned. Well, since, well, we stayed open originally and then we were shut down completely, we've been reopened for just a little over a week. And it's, I mean, it's probably 90%. Yeah, if a few people come in and sit on our patio, but even patio dining's limited to 25%. We have a pretty pretty small little patio area, so right. helps a little, but nothing significant. Is, it, is, the, is the number, like, when, pa- you know, it's patio dining or outdoor dining is limited to 25%, is that 25% of what the restaurant can hold, or is that 25% of the square footage of the patio? That's just the, the patio capacity. Okay. That's just the patio capacity. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I've never I've never owned a business. I've never owned a restaurant. And what, what really pisses me off sometimes is when people, all of a sudden, they become critics, and it's like, you know, they want to they wanna talk about it, and uh like like they know and it's like are you are you a small business owner are you a restaurant owner uh anyway so kind of uh go what what you know like what about the businesses that can't do outdoor dining well, or that that aren't even i mean and like like Brewster was saying it's freaking winter yeah exactly. you know what it's what, winter what about right that? now like you can't actually get a lot of people like doing outdoor dining cuz it's so cold like there's wind there's possibly like snow and precipitation yeah. happening so it's like not only, I mean, not only just like, is it hard for people to just stay out there, but even if they were willing to just to support your business, it's like you also then have to spend time, money, uh, taking your employees and making sure that they're cleaning outside too. Mm-hmm. So it's like doubling their work on top. Of and it. sometimes the PPP uh, loans or whatever, they, they were spent on all, you know, outdoor dining. It was just like, it, you know, like just converting it. And then sometimes in some states, then outdoor dining has been banned even after that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it it's. Well, what I can't crazy. believe is that all the precautions restaurant have ta- restaurants have taken has have come at great expense to themselves. And so I think the ones that spend a lot on outdoor are probably 
better off right now because if think about it, if you spent thousands of dollars in the interior putting up these partitions and everything, mm-hmm. you followed all these guidelines that they said, here, follow this, follow this, and we'll let you continue to do business. And that just gets yanked away without warning, and you're just kind of left hanging. I think there was a Espinos, I believe it's called, in the Valley. I saw they did an interview, and they, I think they spent over twenty grand on just updating their interior interior to just put all these safeguards in place. Then now they're completely useless. They can't yeah. use any of them. Yeah, that, that sucks. It, it really does. I, I, what sucks is like you go around and you think, you know, the, the time and the effort to put up, you know, like like you said, the dividers or whatever. I was driving town. Uh, I was driving down Kirkwood and I saw, um, I forget what, what place it was, but they had like outdoor, like almost like igloos like plastic that people could sit in and you know keep warm and eat and i'm just like what the hell and then there's places like uh um ice and fuel and uh in kirkwood and they they have i, I drove by there and they're all you know shut down obviously but i looked i looked out and their deck is not that you know big number mm-hmm. one they got maybe a few tables and then uh and then they could put some tables outside but they don't you know do they have the money for that even with the even with the loans and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. That just highlights the arbitrary nature as well. I mean, you can't dine indoors unless the indoors is outdoors. I mean, they have all these tents. It's basically like it's just uh, it's like not a set structure, but yeah. still it's an enclosed environment where people can dine, and that's okay. But I can't have people in my restaurant that gets completely sanitized top to bottom by a professional company that comes in on a regular right. basis. It's crazy. Now, I was, I was discussing this with my mom. Uh, she's a waitress. And I was discussing this with her and talking about, you know, like you said, a tent is okay outside, but indoor is not. And she said, well, what about fresh air? And, uh, and she says, maybe there's more fresh air out. What, what would you say to that? I'd say, what about the restaurants that invested thousands of dollars into an air filtration systems that where all that air goes through is filtered by UV light and, those people get no no special privileges privileges or allowances to remain open. Yeah. I mean, there's other there's other ways that people have gone about this mm-hmm. that are just as effective, if not more. And there's just no consideration of that given. It's, it's just it's just a blanket indoor dining. You're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was gonna uh, also mention that it's like uh, Walmart. Interestingly enough, like they also have like similar like what you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, like air systems that is essentially taking the air and replacing it with new. Even if they got that in a tent, like you're still taking a risk. Mm-hmm. So it's like there. I know I know we talk about a lot about like uh, risk management and, and how important that is and how reducing the risk is really the name of the game. But like you said, like I'm not sure how plastic walls that were forced to be forcibly. Uh, these restaurants were uh, mandated to install these things. Mm. And it's like, I've, I've been to uh, one of my favorite places uh, right around the corner from here, Pizza Tavoli. And it's like, he, he is, it's a small business. It's like three or four people that work there, period. And um, like, yeah, he has all these uh, these PPE plastic walls that, like, as you said, are now almost completely useless mm-hmm. because they discovered that essentially it wasn't working. It wasn't doing anything to prevent the spread of COVID from indoor dining rooms. Wait, you so mean the like, you mean the what virus? What the heck was saw the point of making them do it in the first place? Yeah. The virus like, saw just, that wall and thought I could go around it. <laughs> like it was, it wasn't yeah. like oh, I'll stop Meh. here. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Like, I mean, for us, yeah. virus doesn't spread after what is eleven o'clock. It's just right. The arbitrary nature is just what really gets me. And you know, if you have to analyze, if you're going to analyze risk, I think that 
the error that a lot of the policymakers are making is that they're comparing there uh, there's going to be risk with dining indoors just like there's risk doing anything right but they're comparing that with they think the alternative is everyone's just going to stay in their homes but that's not what's occurring they told us in the weeks leading up to uh announcing the order that that most of the main driver news spreads coming from small gatherings and homes 50 percent of hospitalizations are coming from outside the county you're taking away these venues, restaurants with all these safeguards in place, and you're pushing people to conjugate either in their homes where we know the spread's occurring, mm-hmm. or they're dining out to other counties that don't have as many safeguards in place. I mean, if, if masks are really the, the be-all, end-all that like a lot, of, a lot of these policymakers are telling us, why are they instituting policies that are pushing people to go to counties to dine that don't have those mandates, that don't even have the occupancy restrictions? Right. I live in Franklin County, and you know I go out to eat. I went out to eat with my family in St. Charles a few nights ago, and we walked past some of these restaurants, and they're just packed with people. It's crazy. And a lot of those people are coming from St. Louis County, where otherwise they'd be going out to a restaurant with the socially distanced tables and more precautions in place. Right. Let's let's talk about that. Uh, so, like you said, St. Charles County, Jeff- Jefferson County, and the city, they're all open for indoor dining. Uh, many people that I talk to who are pro-lockdown, they see this as counterproductive. Uh, and you know, obviously, you know, some people see it like, you know, yeah, everything should be open. And then some people see it say everything should be closed. Um, but do do you think, you know, someone, a statewide order by Parson for a shutdown, someone, a national lockdown order, would you be for this? Would you be for like, okay, if we all got on board, like if the whole state shut down or would you still be against it? No, I'd be against it. And I think that if you look at the statistics from the states that have locked down completely, it just there hasn't been success with it, mm-hmm. and I think that you're really causing a lot of a lot of needless destruction. I, I mean, I completely understand the pressure by some of our elected officials to do something. Mm-hmm. People are dying, and you know, people want to say, "Why aren't you doing something?" And I can't imagine the pressure that they're under. But that doesn't justify policies that do harm without any known real health benefit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look at Illinois. Well, they're one of the most locked down states in the country. I believe they have two time, approximately two times the population of Missouri, but yet three times the COVID cases. Like, like if they keep telling us that the main driver is gatherings in homes, quit locking people down where they only can gather in homes. Right. It just makes no sense at all. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is crazy i mean you know but but they want to cancel you know thanksgiving and christmas because that's gonna that's gonna fix the problem Mm -hmm. too uh yeah it's so uh let's let's kind of go back to uh to this you spearheaded the lawsuit um against sam page you were one of the uh right you were you were one of the was your business one of the first businesses to jump on board were you uh yeah it was originally the lawsuit was originally uh started by the owners of bartolino's when the uh the order was first announced that morning. I was actually on a at a conference out of town, and uh, you had some other people that were there in the conference that kind of went out and did some exploring. I, I stayed locked in my hotel room the entire day, and I was on the phone with uh, county councilmen, um, got, started all these group messages with different restaurant owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bob Bonney, who's the CEO of the Missouri Restaurant Association, trying to just build a coalition to combat this. Because I know that this is gonna, these things are gonna continue to go on until people oppose them and speak out. And you know, I just, it was different earlier in the pandemic when there was financial aid and there was a lot we didn't know. But now we know that 
the policy is contradicting all the statements they made leading up to it about how the virus is spreading and where it's spreading. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's not right. They're hurting people just because they feel the need to do something. So I sat in my room and, you know, I got, I reached out to all these different restaurant owners and uh, Bartolino's. I think someone that I talked to spoke to them. They got the lawsuit going. So m- me and my partner jumped on right away. And, you know, I talked to the uh, people in the restaurant association. They ended up joining the suit and, it just kind of built from there. I created that Restaurants United Facebook page, and I used that kind of as a messaging hub. To, you know, just that's actually things. very effective. That's how that's how we got in contact with one another uh, was through that through that Facebook page. So yeah, any uh, any business owner out there, restaurant owner, uh, definitely join that page. Uh, but you, yeah, so the lawsuit you're defying pages safer at home order. That makes indoor dining illegal, and restaurants could be subject to fines and criminal penalties. Uh, this list of restaurants uh, that, that are suing are pretty well-known names. Like like you said, like Bartolino's. I think all the Giannino's restaurants are on there. Cyberg's, I think, jumped on board. Um, but in the lawsuit, basically, you want a temporary restraining order against Page and his acting health director, Emily. I'm going to fuck this name up because Booster and I were talking about this before. Duchette, Duchet. Her and uh, Spring Schmidt are the two co-acting directors okay. of health. Okay. So it's down to a, a Schmidt and a Duchette. Schmidt, <laughs> Schmidt and okay. <laughs> so yeah, well, just the double temporary, The temporary restraining order was separate. That that was well. There was the law, initial lawsuit with the forty restaurants in the Missouri Restaurant Association, and then uh, I mean, that can take time, obviously, for that to play out. So while that was. That lawsuit is proceeding. We knew it would take a while. Mm-hmm. In the interim, we wanted to um, try to get a temporary restraining order to block the order in the meantime. So we tried that. We knew it's a long shot. I mean, it's any kind of case like this. It's very rare for a judge to step <coughs> in and issue that until the actual merits of the case have been heard. So it didn't address any merits of the case whatsoever. And that was denied. We appealed that. It was taken up, and that was denied. And so now we're, we have the original suit. Uh, still proceeding and we're kind of we we're kind of attacking it from another angles uh my attorneys advised me not to kind of go public yeah. with too many of the details but we're we're still actively pursuing a number of different legal remedies as well gotcha i mean like and, and this is the the lawsuit i was i was going through it and i uh i was reading an article about it and then i was kind of looking through it myself i'm not a lawyer or anything like that but i mean y- you guys make some good points here uh you you know that you say that you know sam page they, they doesn't they don't have a uh, power to issue an order uh and it you uh it usurped the power of the county council and exercise absolute executive power that casts fundamental principles of separation of powers to the wind that's what the that's what it said i mean that's yeah i mean it's supposed to go through the county council right it's supposed to be yeah. voted through the and he didn't do it the first time because he it was a state of emergency that's what he declared the shutdown well, orders they're drawing ironically with as much talk about local control they're actually utilizing a state statute to kind of override the normal local process so we don't have local control here and the statute they're using states that that the uh, an elected health official which the directors of health are not they're not an elected health board it grants them authority in certain cases to isolate and quarantine an individual person or an individual building to quarantine a building or a person if they find an infectious disease. It, nowhere does it say you can scale this out and apply it to 
an entire industry. Mm-hmm. It's it's completely crazy, and they're taking the statutes out of context. And yeah, it's they're using the state statute to completely absurd the the local process, which is that um, that health director of health is supposed to recommend policies that have to be voted on and passed by the county council. And the county council, who are the most direct representation of the different aspects of St. Louis County, their voices are being silenced. Yep. They're being completely overstepped. And it's just unelected people and Sam Page acting completely on their own. And they can do whatever they'd like. So, so this is, so I was kind of, you know, when I re- when I read that, I was like, "Oh wow! Like if he's if he's doing this, then yes, this is an ab- absolutely an abuse of power." But this is the gray area. I'm going to ask you about this. Uh, he didn't get p- permission from the city council the first time, uh, but and, he, and like I said, he did it as a state of emergency. Uh, the lawsuit states, according to St. Louis County Ordinance seven zero three permits the county executive to declare a state of emergency only in the event of an actual enemy attack upon the United States or the occurrence of disaster from fire, flood, earthquake, or other natural causes involving imminent peril to lives and property in St. Louis County. Do you think that COVID-19 falls under those other natural causes, quote-unquote, um, as you know, imminent peril to you know, prop lives and property? I think that you could have made that argument when the pandemic first took place, but the keyword is imminent. Okay. And we're nine ten months in i mean that's and it's just another example of how they're just they're taking these statutes and they're just bending them to fit anything that they'd like to be able to use this and yeah they know even if even if it's like you know an open and shut case when it gets challenged they know that that's going to be that's going to be a timely process and gotcha. any restaurants that challenge it if they don't get immediate relief they're probably not going to be in business by the time it actually plays out. And so they know they time is on their side and they can just kind of wait it out and pretty much get away with whatever they want right now. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of businesses that have closed. Mm-hmm. And what's what's funny is in a lot of articles that I've read on businesses shutting down, um, the articles state that, well, there were there were other underlying issues and there, there probably was. But COVID-19 did not help where let's say, you know, somebody was just bad at managing the books. Okay, and they were probably closed down in another two years anyway. You know, well, that's that's another two years of, you know, COVID-19 came in and put the nail in the coffin. And that's another two years of, you know, them being able to feed themselves, feed their employees, do this and do that. Like, I mean, COVID-19 put a, the, the restrictions, I should say, you know, put the nail in the coffin on so many businesses. It's, it's crazy. I was yeah. going to say the uh, I think the biggest problem and like we're in lockstep on this is basically the inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. In messaging from the top down, <clears throat> because uh, we were talking about this before we actually started recording, was that um, it makes very little sense to me that within a geographic area of 100 miles, you have basically three different steps of lockdown. One is basically you can't do anything. Don't don't show up to work. You're basically paying rent and utilities until we can get figure this out. And then the second step is basically like this kind of like tiered dining where it's like you can't really you do curbside or outdoor patio but we already talked about why that's a problem it's winter people don't want to spend the time outside uh and then there's kind of like this third tier where it's like uh uh 11 o'clock is basically when you're allowed to be open till and uh it makes no sense to me that like a business owner a restaurant owner like yourself has to kind of like navigate these kind of like different things where it's like uh, your business might be hurting a big time and uh, someone else might be, you know, doing a little better than you, but it's only like a 30-minute drive difference. 
um, based on like sometimes some ten, kind of like sometimes ten minutes, popul- five minutes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like, not even. It, it makes very little sense to me that the, like from the top down, you don't have like a consistent order based on like as you said, like an industry uh, that we can talk about. I mean, like we can talk about like what makes sense, like what can we actually do? How can the government help uh, restaurants and bars, which are like we we talk about all the time how small businesses are the backbone of, of the american economy and how um like these businesses basically prop up the larger ones and kind of like propagate their profits as well uh if you look at like banks and um uh you know stock market trading a lot of that is based on the hard work of smaller business owners like yourself and uh the employees under them waitresses for lack of a better, I mean, like right. waitresses themselves. So open back basically, up. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus, the, well, so the supply. You're making a really good or at place on. Have one rule for everybody. Like, yeah. don't make it. You're like, making so a pretty good case on opening everything back up there, booster. I'm not. Uh, I, oh, I'm not going you? into the part where where we're all going to okay. disagree yet. But all right. uh, well, just yeah. think of the supply chains, like the food distributors. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that this has been a big issue for the, like the Missouri Cattlemen's Association and other other suppliers, uh, liquor distributors, beer distributors. So yeah, it goes on, and you know, it just it creates a chain reaction. And it just what gets me is that St. Louis County. A couple people in the health department are alone on the island on this. Every other health department in every other city and county, they're contradicting this. Just December 3rd, Dr. Will Ross, who's the chair of the Board of Health and Hospitals in St. Louis City, said, I don't think it's proper proper to target one particular industry. Um, he said restaurants have been highlighted and impose restrictions on them disproportionately. He said, I don't think that's fair, and I don't think the science supports it. So if all the talk you hear about settled science – this is very much in debate, and it seems like that the a few people at the top in the health department of St. Louis County, they're they're kind of acting completely on their own. Even even Dr. Alex Garza, uh, as you were saying, head of head of Pages COVID nineteen, uh, made a statement uh, in October on October twenty eighth, and uh, she uh, he said, uh, "quote Even if we did not shut down restaurants and bars, I." Or even if we did shut down restaurants and bars, I don't know how much of an impact that would have on transmission because there's so much now out in the community. Yeah. It, they even even uh, Garza's acknowledging that. Yeah, and if it was probably not going to help. If it was too widespread on October 28th, then it certainly would be too widespread a month later when they issued the order. Yeah, and when you're the head of your own task force is contradicting you, that that I think that's not the time to double down and dig in. I think that's when you need to. You need to take a, a good look at what you're doing and the impact it's having on people and ask, are you really doing what's best for the community? Yeah. The going back to the lawsuit. Um, so were there I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that there were restaurants that did not join. I mean, there's there's 40 restaurants on this lawsuit officially. Uh, so there, there has to be restaurants that you guys probably approached or whatever. And then they said, no, no. Um, I, I know somebody that works for uh, uh, Bar Napoli or whatever and uh or cafe napoli and they were saying that yeah i don't know why they didn't jump on board with it i think their name was circulating that they were actually going to be on the lawsuit but then when it officially came out they weren't or something um and and somebody that was an employee there was saying that yeah i really hope that they you know that they would have joined that they would have fought back were what were the businesses that said no what were their reasonings behind it were they afraid of blowback well, we never really reached out to any restaurants. We just, I mean, once people got wind of it, we had a ton of people reaching out that wanted to join. I got you. And even after the initial uh, suit was filed, I had people that reaching out that still wanted to join, but they we stopped taking people that wanted to join. So we could have probably had twice as many restaurants if we wanted to keep accepting people and wait a little longer to file everything. 
just you know it just it didn't really take much once word got out just a lot of people wanted to be a part of it because they saw what was going on and they knew it was wrong yeah and and what's funny is sam page uh he kind of downplayed uh you know this lawsuit calling all the restaurants uh on this list um outliers and uh based on your involvement in the industry do you think uh you guys are outliers the the 40 that actually you know signed or do more people share your beliefs and just aren't being as vocal because like i said they're afraid of blowback or do you feel more restaurant owners in the st louis area uh have the like it sucks but we're doing the right thing mentality I think there are a lot of restaurants with their dining rooms open right now. They're just not being as vocal about it as I was. I, gotcha. I kind of put a target on my back because I felt like somebody needed to speak up for restaurants and small businesses everywhere. And, you know, I, I can't really critique other people for not doing it unless I'm willing to put myself out there personally. And so I did that. But I know I, I hear all the time people send me messages on Facebook asking for advice or telling about they heard this person's doing this. And. I know there's places even downtown Clayton that are open and every, all over the county. There's places that yeah. are open and just, you know, of course he's going to message that. Oh, everyone's complying because he's a politician. Well, and he say. wants he wants to make it look like, you know, his, you know, his uh, restrictions are popular and everybody's, you know, he does. He, the, the worst thing that could happen is somebody actually comes out and says, you know, you suck. And, that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to, you know, <laughs> give that voice uh, or give that person a voice. Well, he's, um, he, he acts and he retaliates as well. I mean, I don't know if you were familiar with the press conference we held right outside my restaurant. Uh, it was with some of the state senators and mm -hmm. representatives and even the mayor of Chesterfield yeah. where Satchmos is located. And it was for denounce a bill the first day of early filing that would limit the emergency powers of people like Sam Page. And I gave a speech that at, at the podium as well that day. And I guess Sam Page wasn't a fan of what I what I had to say, because within hours he had people from the health department there revoking our permit and shutting us down literally within hours of the press conference. Wow. I mean, that right there, how does that not sound tyrannical? You know, you know I mean, it, it, same thing happened with uh, Bartolino South. Uh, I, I watched on the on the news. They had they had, uh, you know, cars there and there were there were lights, you know, and it's like it's like, what the hell is going on? It gets worse, too. When we uh, our health permit was revoked, the original the first day that we had uh, a hearing for a permit scheduled, our attorney reached out because we were pretty clear that our permit was suspended unlawfully. And we wanted to know why they used a permit or they used a statute that specifically says for uh, transmission of a contagion through food. COVID's not transferred through food. Right. It's another way, another, another example of them abusing a statute and bending it to fit what they're trying to do. Not, not a contagion through food. Yeah. That's fucking well, really when, when he like listeria or salmonella. Right. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know that. But, but again, like COVID, that, that just, well, that just blows well, my mind. My attorney reached out because they never responded to our letter and the hearing was the next morning. And they said, Hey, you never responded to this. And he said it doesn't matter. Essentially, he said that it didn't matter that it was suspended unlawfully because during the hearing they were going to amend the charge until they found something to get us with. Okay. I mean, that's 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 what we're dealing with. It's it's just sad to think that's what our government's become, and it's frustrating. And you know, just things need to change, and I think people need to be made aware of these things. When when you hear stories like that, I mean, it's really hard to not believe that this is an abuse of power. Um, so. Does he have on his task force or advisors? I, I was reading in the uh, in the restaurant uh, group 
that uh, somebody was asking, like, does who are these local? He always says, I got local bar and restaurant owners consulting me. You know, we're we're meeting with you know restaurant groups or whatever. Does he really like? Is he is he really? Do you know specific without putting them on blast? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you know a specific? That's I mean that seems to be uh, a good. I mean that's a very good question. And you know I've even had uh, seen people that are county councilmen that part of the the St. Louis County government asking the same questions with yeah. no response. And I know that the St. Louis metropolitan area very early in the first round of restrictions had some different restaurateurs working with the first round of restrictions. But I think the names were people that own like many, many restaurants and, you know, like chains. Are, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. So they didn't have, I didn't see any representation for, you know, just the, the family owned one location, small business guy. Like they count all of them like McDonald's, like all of that is a small restaurant. Yeah. Court. But, and like, you know, a lot of the single location restaurant owners, they don't have the resources of someone that owns <clears throat> five, 10 restaurants. Right. So, you know, I feel like just single restaurant owners haven't really had a voice up till now. Doesn't that become a conflict of interest though? Like let's say, let's take McDonald's. I'm not saying that McDonald's is doing this, but let's just take something like McDonald's and McDonald's is like, all right, well we got enough funds and everything like that. We can do drive through, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, we, we got enough to kind of keep us through. And if they're advising a, um, you know, a politician to say ban all of indoor dining, you know, they know that we're going to be okay. We'll survive. We might take a bit, but it's going to put, that person out of business, that family-owned burger place out of business, this out of business. I mean, that becomes a conflict of interest, really, when when you're when you get down to it. Yeah, that's just it's just unfair, <laughs> honestly. Almost have a monopoly on the burger Ex business. Exactly. Like, if if McDonald's could shut down every single Burger King with this, I think they might try it. Yeah, or and, every and, uh, Hardee's or every and I, obviously, like you know, we're just using McDonald's as yeah, you know, as, as an, an example. example. We're not but, saying that they're doing. But it. yeah, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it it just. <laughs> It's a conflict of interest. And then, you know, this, you know, then you think, okay, well, is he getting money, you know, kicked back to him under the table and stuff like that, you know? Well, that, that highlights a bigger problem you've seen throughout the pandemic, and that's the government's picking winners and losers. You look at places like the, the Lowe's and the Walmarts that have remained open the entire time, and, you know, they'll come back and say, well, that's because nobody takes off a mask when they work at those places. Well, I don't think Sam Page has probably ever worked at a Walmart, but. <laughs> they have hundreds of associates and they all have to eat sometime too. The only difference is instead of going to a restaurant now with all these safeguards in place, they're cramming into a break room yeah. where tables aren't being sanitized routinely after every time somebody gets up, no socially distanced tables and other precautions. So it's not really improving things. And you, you talk to somebody that works at one of these locations, ask them how often one of the employees there are contracting COVID versus at one of these small independent restaurants. Cause I guarantee, I don't want to, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or mention any business in particular, right. but I guarantee it will blow your mind how often it's happening. Oh, I bet. I think I think it's, you know, the restaurant, you know, restaurants are just targeted in restaurants and bars and everything like that because there's this there's a stigma that, you know, it, it, you know, the younger crowds are out at night at the bars and that's how it's spreading. And then, you and know, the indoor dining and that's how it's spreading. Imbibing I mean, alcohol tends to like lead to like riskier behavior. And we've we've kind of seen that oh, yeah. through, through like, you know, yeah. drunk driving laws and stuff like that. And so uh, people are, like, more willing to kind of, like, take risks without really thinking through the consequences. But every flu season, like we're going to shut down the bars? Mm. No. You know? No, I didn't get I, that far. But, I mean, um, but also, like, it makes it makes a little bit of sense that bars and restaurants do get, uh, like, more attention. I'm not saying, like, they should be singled out the way that they are. But um, part of it does kind of make sense to me that it's, like, you're actually taking your mask off to actually, like, 
physically pick things up and put them in your mouth as compared to like, you know, like yeah, but look what Walmart you're, where you're picking something off a shelf, keeping your mask on the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I kind of get that. But part look of what it. you're doing right now with the mask, though. You're wearing a mask with us. It's, it, yeah, it's, I know. It's so that people and can hear me better. I know. So it's so people. I, like exactly. Me. Exactly. But like right now, and that's fine. If you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. But right now, what you're doing with the mask is you're keeping it on. You got it on right now. You have it over your face. Okay. Yeah, and what, this, is what mostly, Booster, this is mostly just like what's, a, a What Booster thing. is doing, folks, is he's wearing the mask, but then when he's going to talk, he's pulling it down. And yeah, we am. got, and then and then Ben's yeah. right across from him. I'm right here. No, I'm You would be making, violating. Why, why are you even wearing I'm also agreeing. With, yeah, I know. I'm showing. I'm I'm trying to demonstrate something that like the uh, the practicality of telling everyone to wear a mask all the time. Like, look at this. Like, I'm just talking. It's already falling off of my nose. Like, yeah. <laughs> so well, why mean, would you? Like, why would you? Even, it, it's so not going to work. It's it not co- working. You I, know, like, I understand what you're saying there, yeah. but it's like we need to take practicality into account. And just saying, like, never wearing a mask is not the same as being as bad as some as trying to wear it most of the time. Like we said, risk management is a big part of it. And, like, I agree that, like, restaurants and bars should be allowed to stay open if we're taking, like, reasonable precautions. I'm not necessarily an epidemiologist. I don't necessarily know, like, all the steps that could be taken uh, to prevent the uh, spread of disease. You know, not just COVID-19, but basically all of them. Um, But it's like we, we have to be able to find a way to support local businesses like Satchmo's, like uh, Pizza Tivoli, like all these places that we know and Open them up. I'll support them. Open them up. Ben, what do you think about that? What do you think about that, man? Yeah, I think that you need to uh, take into account human behavior as well, and you got to think what the realistic alternative is. So say say I I took it just, you know, at face value that, you know, people take off a mask to eat at a restaurant, and that's too dangerous. Well, that – Compared to what? Compared to the, everyone's not just going to stay in their house. If they're, they instead of having a beer at a restaurant, maybe they don't wear a mask all the time, but they're at least wearing it some of the time. If they gather together in their house, a lot of those people aren't going to be wearing one any of the time. They're not going to have commonly touched surfaces that are sanitized constantly. So, is it really making things safer? I mean, look at what the potential alternatives are, and I, I think in a lot of cases the answer is no. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about hypocrisy because there's a lot of people that preach, you know, wear the mask, wear the mask, don't go outside, stay home, stay home, and then they obviously don't do it. So uh, Page stated his reasoning for the restrictions back in November, and one thing he said is, "quote I'm deeply concerned that not everyone is taking personal responsibility and following public health orders." However, back in October, according to the Gateway Pundit, he uh, there was uh, photographic evidence of Page out at a local restaurant. And he's he's sitting there, you know, no mask. Obviously, he was sitting inside. He was, yeah, yeah. And uh, was it inside or was it out on the? It looked like out on a patio, underneath like an awning or something like that. Was it inside? I believe the reason there was so much outrage is that it was kind of like a semi-closed patio or something like that. Okay, it was like there was openings, but it was like. But I mean, he's sitting from where he. But he's sitting sitting out there, no mask, talking with other. There's there's people at his table with him. He's not he's not just sitting. It was a closed air environment. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like are people just gonna, you know, what 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 I have a problem with is people virtue signaling. They virtue signal you're evil if you do, if you don't wear a mask. You're evil if you want to go out to eat. You're evil if you cross you know over the Missouri into St. Charles to to eat at a res- restaurant that's open. You know what I'm saying? You're evil if you go down 55 to Jeffco, and then people are you know 
it, they're they're hypocrites. Yeah. You know, you see them out, or you see them doing this, or you see them doing that. Well, you know, you you got together at a small gathering, more than ten people. What are you what are you doing? And I'm not I'm not for attacking people on 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 that. I'm not one of those people that like you know what you're gonna kill everybody because you're not wearing a mask, you evil fuck. But uh, you, you know, uh, what do, what do you say to the to the hypocrisy? You know, somebody like Sam Page. You know, it's. It just goes back to uh, what I said about, you know, a politician feeling the need to do something. And virtue signaling is exactly right. What gets me is when they prioritize virtue signaling over the actual stated end goal, which is to reduce the spread and mm-hmm. reduce hospitalizations. But when, when you know that that human behavior dictates that people aren't going to be just staying in their homes or doing these other things, it's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, and that that brings you to the question: Are human beings even capable of not being social? You know, I don't think we're, we're not. We're social creatures. We're mm-hmm. going to go out. We are going to, even if it's just to go, you know, out in your backyard and say hi to your neighbor over your fence. You know, and it's like you you can you could get the virus. I'm not I'm not downplaying you know the virus. I, you know, I I've known people that have been sick from it that have had it very very severe. I've no I haven't known anybody personally that's died. But I've heard people of having family members that, that have died. Um, I, I've had I've had friends have it that, and they've they've had it and they're they're like, Yeah, it sucked when I had it, but I got over it. You know, I'm I'm alive. You know, the survival rate is is up and it's like you're just you're you're banning human interaction. And it's it's just it's stupid. It doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, you can't just deny deny a human behavior. I mean, like you said, human beings are social creatures. And maybe you can get people to lock down and avoid seeing each other for a period of time, but not not going on the eighth, ninth, tenth month. Yeah. And I mean, you got to think of the unintended consequences this has. Also, I mean, you're seeing skyrocketing rates of suicides, overdoses, domestic abuse. I mean, who knows what the long-term implications of everything that's happening to these poor kids that are, you know, they're missing school. Not every kid can can thrive on at-home learning. Everyone yeah. learns differently, and. I think that's the great thing about our school system is that there's so many different ways to cater to all the different learning styles that people have or people with disabilities. And that seems to be getting lost in a lot of cases, especially when you look at the rates of transmission and mortality rates among among some of these kids. It's it's I don't like comparing COVID to the flu because I think that's gets kind of used in a in a not fair it's kind of a dishonest way sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the mortality rates with children, it actually is lower than the flu in that case. Yeah. And just to ignore that, just, I mean, it goes back to, uh, am I virtue signaling? Am I really doing what's best for the people? And that's what kills me. Yeah. Do you, do you think that we have tunnel vision, um, as a, as a nation in stopping COVID, but we're not taking into account, you know, and and we want to save lives from COVID. So I think from both sides, they come at it from a very moral morally just place right people are wanting to save lives from COVID-19 I, I get it you know I don't I don't want anybody to die it's it sucks to you know when you have a family member die or a friend die all that kind of stuff but do you think that maybe we have tunnel vision as a nation focusing on saving lives from COVID but we're not worrying about the livelihoods of people being ruined you know whether it's financially spiritually emotionally mentally all that kind of stuff absolutely and uh, you know COVID we have fortunately we have a we have a couple of vaccines that are already out. When we look back at this years down the road and we look at how many lives were lost over a ten year period due to COVID and compare it to at the time how many lives we've lost to overdoses and, you know, increases and all these other things, 
I think we're going to look at it in, in a much different perspective. And I think that they're, they're making these policy decisions solely on the advice of health experts, which that should be a huge part. But I feel like these decisions should be made with, uh, in conjunction with you know, psychologists, sociologists, economists. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be looking at this from all perspectives instead of, like you said, having tunnel, tunnel vision, vision and only looking at the health effects and nothing else. Because the long-term effects and the fallout from this could have could last for years or potentially decades. Yeah, and a lot a lot of people are a lot of people are suffering, and it, it's it's it sucks. But let, let's kind of get back to the lawsuit. Um, with and and again, this this kind of goes through. You know, having tunnel vision, we're not seeing how people are affected. Uh, owners of the shack told KSDK that they were making two thousand dollars a day before these restrictions, but that dropped ninety five percent. To 250 to 300 dollars a day after the restrictions. Uh, the lawsuit states your uh, your guys' lawsuit states uh, rent, mortgage, utility bills will not stop coming while plaintiffs' restaurants are shut down, and there will be no sales to customers to pay those bills other than from takeout. Plaintiffs will have to lay off staff and ultimately may face permanent closure to their operations. How do you explain to a person who has never owned or operated operated a business? that might be a critic of yours. How do you explain that? How do you explain, you know, yeah, I might be healthy. I might be safe from COVID, but I'm being destroyed here. I'm being financially ruined. Like all my heart, my soul that I put into this business is, you know, being destroyed. You know, and you know, you're exactly right. And to me, it's not even the reason I've kind of tried to stand up and be a voice opposing this isn't even so much for the business owners. It's for the employees. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the people that are getting killed and, you know, it seems like a lot of the critics, I've yet to see a critic, even a commenter on social media, who's actually someone that lost their income because of this order. Somebody that wasn't able to give their kids a Christmas. Somebody that can't pay the mortgage, yeah. put food on the table. And I think they just, they need to find, they need to speak to the people that are in those positions and realize the reality of what's occurring. Because I don't think that they fully understand. Yeah, COVID's terrible. And the people, the lives we've lost is absolutely horrific. But there's a lot, there's many other horrific things occurring. And people, people losing their home, not able to feed their children. That's pretty horrific to me as well. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's just. It's sad. It, it, it really, it really is sad. You know, like my, like I, you know, with, uh, with my job, I was working in sales and, uh, in, in furniture sales and nothing was getting delivered. So, and I got, I got paid on delivered. So I was actually losing money. And I ended up quitting my job because I wasn't making any money. And like, like this, like this, uh, this Christmas, my parents, you know, we usually ex- uh, exchange gifts. And my parents like told me, um, "Hey, don't worry about getting us anything this year. Like, we know like things are tight, this and that." And I didn't because honestly, like, it's it's hard. Um, but that that to me, like, it just it just kind of sucks. Like, ah, man, I can't, you know, like I can't get my mom or dad anything. And I I'm make it up, made it up to them in other ways, you know, all that kind of stuff. But. Uh, but I just I can imagine imagine what I feel in that particular situation. But then you have children, uh, and you having to tell your kids, Santa's not coming this year, or you know this that or blah blah blah, and you can't provide for them. That's that's tough. And I don't think I think a lot of the critics out there maybe are not in that situation or are not taking that into account. Yeah, and even even a couple of the restaurant owners I've seen that didn't agree with how we're going about this. I mean, my question to them would be, how much does your take-home pay change? A lot of people 
they might be in the position where they could do curbside only for a while and their income might not change at all. But how many employees did you have to lay off to be able yeah. to make it through and sustain that? What about them? And that, that's that's what I think a lot of people don't realize, that it's not about me. It's not about the business owners. It's just so much bigger than one person or one restaurant. It's about it's about the 46,000 people in St. Louis County that the restaurant industry employs. I think that we can maintain a little over half of our staff doing only curbside to be yeah. able to make it. I mean, multiply that out. You scale that out over the 46,000 people that are usually employed, and that, that gives you some insight into how potentially devastating this order may have already been to a lot of people. That that's it's it's crazy. It it, it really is. Uh, that you guys you guys state in this lawsuit that this is um, unconstitutional based on the Missouri Constitution. All these all these shutdowns and uh, and and uh, restrictions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the lawsuit alleges the fines and sanctions uh, the order threatens as penalties for those who defy it without a uh, without merit. Uh, it, it, it are, are without merit because the Missouri Constitution forbids the medical director from issuing orders that subject citizens to fines or imprisonment. So now we're getting into this isn't just, you know, unjust. This is this is this is unconstitutional. This is, you know, you know, some people say, well, like, oh, well, it's not morally right. But I get, you know, no, now now we're looking at it's unconstitutional. Interestingly, um the county, the ter- attorneys for the counties, their response to the judge stated that they didn't know why, why that we were under the impression that they were threatening fines and imprisonment because that wasn't part of the order. Well, I have two letters from the Department of Health that says otherwise, that specifically threatens fines <laughs> of up to $1,000 in a year imprisonment. So I don't know where the confusion could have come from. Okay, so is it is it just they're stupid? Like they, they don't know? Or is it like a lot of people going, oh, I don't, I didn't know. Like, even though they did know that they just don't want the, you know, publicity, they don't want, you know, the negativity or is it or is it just people got their head up their asses and really don't know what the fuck's going on? You know, I'd like to say that, you know, maybe they just weren't on this. People weren't on the same page. The attorneys weren't on the same page with what with the notices that were being sent out. But I've just at this point, I've seen so many examples of them not acting in good faith and just so many examples of bad government bad governance, blatant bad governance. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to just, you know, accept like that it was a miscommunication because it just, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous. You can't give them the benefit of the doubt for anything anymore. Yeah. It, it's, it, it sucks. It really does suck. Uh, what, you know, with, with you, what are you projecting is going, what, what are you thinking is going to happen in, you know, come, you know, 2021, because these uh, originally uh, from November 17th, it was supposed to last four weeks. It's now uh, it, we're, when we're filming this, it's it's now uh, a month and 10 days later. So, it, you know, what what is going to happen? He's he's talking about maybe Sam Page County Executive is talking about maybe opening up indoor dining in January. It was supposed to only last four weeks. That's over. Now it's going to last through December. So almost two months we're coming up on here. Do, do you have faith that, that they'll reopen indoor dining? Do you have faith that this isn't the end of it? They're just going to keep on putting more and more restrictions or kind of, you know, yank your chain, maybe, you know, say, okay, yeah, you can open. And then three months later, nope, we got to shut down again. Well, you know, I'm hoping that they rightfully received a lot of bad press over this. Like I was, I was really pleasantly surprised to see how it was covered by a lot of people, you know, like very fair and honest re- 
reporting, particularly with a lot of the people that I interviewed with earlier in the process. And, you know, I just hope that it puts enough pressure on, there's enough pushback and that, you know, it's going to make them think twice about singling out an industry. I mean, like I mentioned, you have the health professionals in the city of St. Louis, you have uh, the Missouri Restaurant Association, the Chesterfield Chamber of Commerce even came out and passed a resolution condemning the order and applauding the 40 restaurants that filed the suit. I know just uh, last week, there was uh, a letter sent by over 40 mayors questioning the order and requesting the data that supports it, which nobody's seen up to this point. So I have hope that there's been enough blowback from this, and I've certainly done everything I can to, you know, to make sure it's a headache for them and make sure they're aware of the, the pain that's inflicting on people, that they're going to they're gonna think twice next time. And we have the, uh, the legislation that was introduced also by Senator Koenig, and I have high hopes. I know there's a lot of energy behind that and a lot of desire, it seems, to get something passed in both the House and Senate. So that could potentially provide some relief, but government's not exactly known for its speed. So it could be early February, maybe like in a, a best-case scenario when something like that would be passed. So, I mean, I believe there is hope on the way. It's just a matter of when and yeah. how many restaurants we're going to lose in the meantime. Do you think we're maybe uh, looking at a national shutdown, like a national lockdown? You know, that's I mean, that's a good question. And we'll see. I know that, that even Biden mentioned that, you know, it'd be unconstitutional to do a uh, national mandate that you'd have to talk to the governors and mayors and county executives independently and get them to buy into it. So I don't know as far as the process, what they could do at the executive level unilaterally to lock everything down. I mean, I think our governor's been pretty clear, though it's been frustrating at times that he won't step in and do something in St. Louis County when you're seeing the the local order of things kind of being overridden. He's been very consistent about maintaining that local control. So I don't think that he would follow any lead by, you know, the the federal administration to lock anything down unless it was something they could do unilaterally. So I mean, that's, that's something that I really can't control. So I just will have to see what, see what happens. Isn't it uh isn't it Florida? The governor was like, Nope, like no, no shutdowns at all. Don't worry. We got you. Ron like, DeSantis, mm-hmm. I think. Is that, is that it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I, think, I think that's his name. He yeah. made me a fan. Yeah. He, he's really sticking up for his restaurant industry. Yeah. And I believe he was the, one of the earlier governors that, Sign an executive order to allow the cocktails to go too. So I remember, kind of that was the first rabbit hole I went down, getting involved in all this political stuff when I was uh, pursuing a executive order from our governor here, and I started the petition and everything. And I know Florida governor, Texas, and a number of others I was using in my petitions and all my messaging I was sending out for that. So yeah, yeah. I'd like this. I would like to see Parson kind of following their lead, but you know he's at least he's being consistent with the local control. So I guess I got to give it to that, give that to him at least. Yeah. He, he's a, uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's good. Cause then, you know, you can do a couple things. You can either, if you chose to shut down your state, you can be looked at as, you know, abuse of power, tyrant, you know, but then some people will praise you. And then if you do what uh, the Florida governor did and say, Nope, everything's going to stay open. Don't worry about it. We got you. Uh, then you're looked at as, abuse of power you know what i'm saying uh all that kind of stuff so yeah damned if you I do think. damned if you exactly don't. it really is what's what's crazy to me is some people like the florida governor um are looking at him as is evil you know what i'm saying just wanting to 
you know, open everything up. Oh my God, you're you're going to kill a whole bunch of people. But then so many people here with Parson, even though he's like, oh, you know, county county officials can do what they want, mayors can do what they want, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they're like, no, you need to do more. That's what's crazy. It's two sides of the spectrum. You know, one's one's mad at, you know, the use of using using his power, and then the other one's you know not using his power. So I think there's too much of that in our politics today. Period. You know, that mm-hmm. just you know, I, as I become more involved politically, like throughout the pandemic, that's just one thing that just you know just just kind of you know rubs you the wrong way when you see that and. The most frustrating thing is they don't look at the data. I mean, look, if you actually looked at Florida and looked at the charts with the that show the cases, the seven day average of cases, when they open things up, it didn't it didn't start like some kind of mass spreading event. No, they've actually outperformed a lot of the states that have remained locked down. Really? And people just they want to attack people on the other side. And they're so quickly to do that without actually looking at the underlying data to see if their criticisms are justified or not. Oh, wow. Uh, do you think couple couple questions as we're closing out uh, the interview? Do you think that this virus is here to stay? Do you think we will ever be able to, as far as like these uh, these mandates or, or restrictions, you know, in the in the indoor dining industry or the dining industry period across the country? Do you think that will ever curve the numbers that way? Well, you know, the vaccines, everything coming from the vaccine, and you know, the therapeutics is very promising. My concern is more. There's so many people in power that have learned that how a public health emergency can be utilized to grab all this power. Mm-hmm. My concern would be with what the next public health emergency is and what what classifies as that going forward. I mean, COVID, you can make a lot of you can make a lot of arguments of why this was a legitimate public health emergency, obviously. My worry is that it's gonna be abused. Because anything that can be abused by government at some point, I believe, will. Not everywhere, but somewhere. Like the status quo will change. Anytime something like this pops up, now, like, they know, oh, well, we can go this far. Exactly. Like, this is okay. And, you know, just the way I've seen statutes and laws be twisted and Mm -hmm. stretched, it's just, you know, it's crazy. I mean, what's next? Are they going to find out that gun violence is a public health emergency? So now they got to come at come confiscate everyone's weapons i mean dangerous rabbit hole yeah it's just you know that's that's my concern so you know i'm i'm very glad that you have you have jim murphy in the house and senator koenig in the senate and a bunch of others that are you know taking proactive steps to not just end what we see going on now and make sure that there's some oversight and accountability they're allowing for some kind of some level of shutdowns and some of these and giving them the authority they're just placing limits Mm -hmm. and making sure that you know the people have a voice because a lot of that a lot of the aspect where people the public comment aspect of creating these laws and orders that's just you know the people's voice is completely being left out and that's not right so i'm hopeful but i'm skeptical and i think a lot of states where they don't have people like these guys that are putting bills like this forward i'm concerned for what's going to happen there I was watching the uh, the press conference outside of your restaurant um, a little bit. Not not I didn't pay as much attention to it because another one that I saw <clears throat> on YouTube uh, kind of caught my attention, and it was in New York, and it was it was it was around the same time, uh, maybe a little bit earlier or later, and a restaurant owner was arrested in New York, and they had a whole bunch of uh, lawyers and government officials that actually came and they did this press conference saying that it's unconstitutional. This the that, uh, blah, blah, Staten blah. Island bar, yeah, the Is Staten Island, yeah, about? yeah, and, okay. and, and yeah, it he was, became uh, a national lightning rod. Yeah, and so it was like, yep. And then I, I was, so I was watching that, and then I, you know, I saw yours, and I was like, it does seem that people are saying enough is enough. 
like enough of this bullshit. Open everything back up. This is, you know, we're we're going way too far here. So that that is uh that that does give me hope. Um would you take the vaccine? They offered it to you? Uh I mean I'm not opposed to it. I'm not gonna be the first in line. Um, okay. I'm I'm not high risk either exactly. I mean I'm young, active, but I mean it I wouldn't rule it out at some point. So. Yeah, because you're you're pretty in shape, guy, and everything. You're younger, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's not like you know, quote unquote, you know, indoor dining is not essential, so it's not technically like you're an essential worker. Do you yeah. do you know of anybody that's actually gotten the vaccine yet? I um, I don't think I've I don't think I've heard of anybody that I know. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people in the medical field. I just, you know, I don't know specifically. I haven't yeah. seen anyone post on social media. I mean, my older brother is orthopedic surgeon. I, I've caught up with him over the holidays but you know honestly just never came up i mean he's a military doctor too so i mean i'd imagine that they'd be kind of near the top of the list Mm -hmm. but you know i just i don't know that for a fact but i'm sure that the way it's rolling out and with multiple vaccines now that's going to become more and more commonplace and and i'm glad that people want it it's available to them i'm against i'd be against any kind of forced vaccine i don't think that's right especially since a lot of this is kind of newer it's not huge concern with me i'm never not been one to be like against vaccines you know i think if you want you wanted to have the vaccine you should be free to do it if you don't want to have the vaccine i think that should be your personal choice um but yeah and i think it's good that it's getting out there in the community because hopefully we'll bring all this to an end yeah um just just kind of give you um some time and everything at that uh whether you want to plug your business whether you want to you know give a shout out to your employees uh any anything uh any other you know projects that you might have coming up uh anything you know to tell the audience what to look forward to uh you got you got a few minutes so just kind of do whatever you want to switch switch it back to him yeah there you go well you know i'm just i want to thank everyone in our community and from all over just like, like i mentioned before i'd had no idea what would happen when I kind of stood up for this. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I'd, years down the road, I'd want to look back at this. And my son's four years old. I'm, I had two daughters. I want to be able to tell them that I didn't just go along with everything because people told me to. I want to be able to say that you know, I stood up for what I believed was right. And, you know, I, I want to thank everyone in the community that's supported us because I thought we might get we might get butchered by people when I kind of spoke out but just the support was so overwhelming and I'd try to do the right thing regardless but it makes it so much easier when you have so many people that tell you they're behind you you know there's people that showed up to the restaurant that called in and you know just sent us messages emails and you know I, I want to say thanks and to all the other restaurant owners that you know have taken a stand with me that if you know I didn't know if I'd be the only one, and I'm very fortunate that there's a lot of other people that kind of rallied behind the cause, and like you mentioned, you're seeing it more and more around the country. Yeah. And, you know, it gives me hope, and, you know, I think we're going to continue to see that, and it gives me hope that when we do see governments that inevitably try to abuse their power and try to grasp from this power for something else they deem as a public health emergency, that there'll be good patriotic people there to challenge it. Yeah, I think I think it it just takes that it takes that one voice to speak out, and then floodgates are open, and here here comes everybody. Yeah, that that one voice at first, you know, the, you know, uh, you might might get beaten, might get you know battered in the media or whatever, but other people are going to see it. And other wait, he's got my same views. Hold on, and you know, and inspire them to be courageous and stand with them. Uh, last question of the interview, Ben. What's easier, owning a restaurant or MMA fighting? Hmm. Seems like I've taken a, a 
beating them both lately, but uh, <laughs> you know they're they're both very challenging in different ways, and I think that's kind of why I've been drawn to both of those. You know, I, I I'm drawn to things. I like to challenge myself. Yeah. And in MMA, that create that was you have to devote your entire life to it, and it was extremely challenging, and it was my full time job. And with restaurants, it's the same thing. You know, I I got into my restaurant at 28 years old, and kind of had to figure it out and I was able to get in there from actually reading like all these books on real estate and you know, I just kind of figuring out how to piece together the financing and everything at that age and I was just you know it was it was difficult it was a challenge it was a goal that I didn't have any idea how I would get there but I knew I you know I just set my mind to something and grind forward and same thing with other things earlier in the pandemic like getting an executive order from the governor to change the liquor laws I didn't know how I'd get there just you know I like having a good challenge and you know, you felt as a business owner, you felt really helpless, especially early on. And I just, I wanted to give, get a victory for my industry because restaurant owners hadn't had any good news for a really long time. And just, you know, I wanted to find a way to do it. I felt like it was something that I might be able to pull off because I had one foot kind of in grassroots politics, one foot in the restaurant business. And, you know, I don't, I guess... I guess that that good enough dodge to your question. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> I was I was I was waiting for it. I was like, all right, all right, no, all right. Well, that's great, Ben. Thank you seriously for coming on the show and everything like that. Thanks for being a voice uh, to small businesses and all that kind of stuff out there in St. Louis County. Seriously, well, need, thanks. Need thanks, more people like you. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for uh, highlighting some of these issues. Yeah. I think the more it gets out there, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, that will do it for another Underground STL interview. Make sure to follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube, all other social media platforms. Also visit our website, www.undergroundstl.com for more content like this. We will see you next time. Thank you all for watching Underground STL Live. This show is brought to you by TAC Entertainment, live music and concert promotion, band management, tour management, and new talent development in the greater St. Louis area. Also, this show is brought to you by Diamond Music Hall, a premier music venue located in St. Peters, Missouri. Do not forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and other social media platforms. Also, don't forget to visit our website at undergroundstl.com. Underground St. Louis is property of Underground Promotions, LLC. We will see you next time. And as always, we go deep. <laughs>